What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What they discovered upon their arrival was almost unspeakable. We thought all people were some form or the dead won't bother you. It's the living you gotta worry about. Something if I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons. Ni hao. Oh God. Welcome <laughs> to the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. I'm Vicky. I'm unfortunately Janelle, and now I know how it feels. Yeah, girl. <laughs> Welcome to the, the, the other turned. how the turntables. <laughs> uh Anyway, welcome to the show. <laughs> this is your first time listening. A special hello to you. We've got a great show for you today. Bow, 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 bow. You're very energized. <laughs> yeah. This is yeah. Surprising. I got a good night's sleep last night. That'll do it. Yeah. I'm check back with me in a half an hour once the coffee fully kicks in. Yeah, right. <laughs> Looking forward to taking a nap. Kind of disappointed because there's a big old air mattress in my living room that I have to deal with. But you know, I'm cleaning up the post of somebody staying at the house. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, I'll deal with this later. I know afternoon Vicky's gonna really hate me for this, but <laughs> that's all right. Mm-hmm. She'll take but a nap. Tomorrow Vicky will be very appreciated. I'll be in the office tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Tomorrow, Vicky's going to be very stressed. Stre- <laughs> less stress. Yes. Stress less. <laughs> I Stressing guess. Stressing for lesson. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I guess with that, let's just uh, head Do on over to the newsroom. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to go to the newsroom. This week, our news, um, this is CNN. It's from jolly old England. Sweet. Yes. Where they're calling this guy the Easter Bunny. Can you guess why? Doesn't sound very scary. Is he taking eggs or leaving eggs? Which one? (laughs) He just received an 18-month jail sentence for stealing 200,000 Cadbury cream eggs. That would be the crime that put me in jail, too. Love a Cadbury cream egg. (laughs) So this actually happened on February 11th. It's uh, 32-year-old Joby Poole. (laughs) And the amount of eggs that he stole are approximately worth $40,000. Really? Yeah. 
for 200,000 Cadbury cream eggs or 31,000 pounds. (laughs) Um, So he broke into an industrial unit and and stole stole the money or stole the money, stole the eggs. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was he Actually, on reselling them, or was he going to eat them? I'm. Uh, <laughs> that is a great question. I'm sorry, this did not actually. I don't think this actually. Ha- I think this happened in the U.S. Mm. But there can't be cream eggs, so which so is a British right. yeah. thing. Imported, <laughs> imported. Um, it says he didn't resist. Let's see. Oh my God, that ending line of this article is so silly. Quote: Tweeting after the arrest, West Mercia police said they had quote. Helped save Easter for cream egg fans, calling the incident an extravagant theft. Barf. <laughs> oh, no. Shrewsbury. This is from England. Shrewsbury okay. Crown Court. Yep. That's English. Anyway. So he's going to jail. That's the news. Yeah. I <laughs> mean, it's probably like felonious because of the amount of money. But like. Yep. If he's like, I wasn't going to resell them, I just really love them and I wanted to eat them all year, I'd be like, well, I'm just going to let you out. Maybe he's just trying to ruin Easter. Yeah. Maybe he just loves them so much and he can never find them and that's how he is getting them. He's so an Easter Grinch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're going to move on to Netflix and Kill. This week is a Max and Kill where we're watching Prisoner of the Prophet. Okay. I just wanted to give this a brief mention. It's kind of interesting because it just looks at one case, but I bet you can guess what this is about. <laughs> um so Mormons it is about Mormons and specifically <laughs> the Mormon. <laughs> love a Mormon story. <laughs> um so we it it talks about uh the FLDS Warren Jeffs. Um specifically this one looks at um her name is Brielle Decker who is Warren Jeffs. I believe it was 64th or 65th wife. Who can keep track? Who can keep track? I just wanted to give it a brief mention. We've had plenty of documentaries on the FLDS and specifically Warren Jeffs and Rulon Jeffs, his father. It's a Mormon documentary. You know, it's kind of, it's interesting because it sort of narrows in on this one um, example, but they still do a lot of history. How many wives did he have total? 85. Okay, so getting towards the end. Yeah, of, like, and he's wife still he's still alive. He's mm-hmm. still running the church and the organization, and still has is getting married to women while he's in jail and expanding his family. A lot of them underage, and mm-hmm. you know, releasing testimonies and all sorts of shit. So, How like, can he keep expanding if he can't have children with them, though, dude. What's You're the, asking the wrong I'm just person. Saying, like, bro, what's the point if you can't have kids with them? Yeah. You got all these wives yeah. and no kids? Pretty much, yeah. Not very prophetic of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's there. If you want another Mormon documentary, it's fine. <laughs> Haven't seen it. Yeah, I'm about halfway through it. It's, again, this is why I was like brief mention because it's pretty much your standard. Standard Mormon. Standard FLDS documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, has You're a little history. <laughs> Ew, gross. <laughs> gross. That's if you know, joke. you Ladies know. And that's a Mormon joke. If you know, I'm not going to explain that one, but if you know, you know. We might have already talked about it on the podcast. We have. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. This is that part of the show where we say content may not be appropriate for all listeners. This week we'll be talking uh, about murder. Whoa, really? More murder. Murder, murder, sure. murder. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but specifically, we're going to be talking about some murders for life insurance. Murders with a purpose? Murders <laughs> for the payout. Yes. <laughs> uh, because 
life insurance is one of those things that seems really great until somebody's trying to murder you. Yeah. But does it seem that great? I mean, the I like the idea of it, but it mm-hmm. also seems like a racket. So. Oh, 100% a racket. And until you like, need it. And then it's like, okay. But also, why does it got to cost so much to just bury somebody? God. Yeah, that's... that's <laughs> That's why I tell all of my loved ones, throw me in a ditch. (laughs) And I stand by that. You, I feel like I don't drain my blood. Do not put me full of chemicals. I don't need to be dressed. I don't need to be viewed. We don't even need to have a funeral. Throw me in a fucking ditch. I was either listening to, you said this on a more recent podcast that I've listened to in the last couple of months, or I was re-listening to an old one because I definitely remember you saying this Oh, yeah. That's my credo is throw me in a ditch to the point where my partner gets very upset and he's like, I will never just throw you in a ditch. I'm like, well, if I put it in my fucking will, you will. Which is very sweet of Bo, too, to be like, I love you too much to just toss you in, like, garbage. But there's going to be that one day where I see a bag and it's Chanel. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay, so before I jump into this, my – this story revolves around a Taiwanese lady. And I think we need to talk about the relations between Taiwan and mainland China just a, <laughs> just a little bit you because mean the eradication of yes. the Taiwanese people this that is, old thing this is why yeah i feel i, I didn't want to just like gloss over the fact that there is a lot of controversy between um but if we acknowledge their existence we're going to get nuked yeah right like that. right uh it i will say Taiwan and China relations are a little bit outside my purview. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest with you. I know that technically Taiwan is considered the Republic of China, which is different to the People's Republic of China, like mainland China. But it has its own democratically elected government, similar to the situation in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. except that they have their own island. So yeah. they're totally like. And they've tried to separate themselves. Yes. Since the dawn of time. Yeah, there's definitely some issues between Taiwan and Beijing, who have pretty much said their main goal is to unify the island with the mainland. But they don't really want that. It's a whole separate people. It's a whole separate people. They have their own government. There's no reason for them to be part of China. Um, So I just wanted to, like, recognize all of that at at the beginning. Acknowledge, yes. Acknowledge that this is going on. I will say... Currently, there's also, like, some talks of the U.S. going to war with China over Taiwan status, Uh Mm -hmm. which, like... Because we dared to to do something positive once a thousand years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's all that. Um, It's not not really a huge part of the story, but like I said, I felt like it was kind of important just to recognize that all this shit's going on. Cool. Okay. On to the story. Uh, So Lin Yuru was born in 1981 in Taiwan's oldest capital city, Tainan. I'm going to apologize because there's a lot of Chinese in here. Mm -hmm. I'm trying my best, people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Her childhood was reportedly pretty normal, nothing really out of the ordinary. Um, Unfortunately, Lin's father died when she and her sister were still pretty young, which sort of thrust the family into this in hard times. I mean, it it really sort of demolished the family financially, and they kind of were just down on their luck for a while. Uh, but eventually, Lynn graduated from a vocational school and then went to work at a cabaret club. Now, I'm pretty sure we've talked about this type of thing 
before, but in Taiwan, the cabaret clubs are really, they're kind of similar to like the hostess bars that you see in other parts of Asia, Japan. Yeah. Where they're pretty much places where men go for the company of women who sit next to them, drink, sing karaoke, hang out, give them attention in a not necessarily sexual or overtly sexual manner. It's more companionship. We would call that pan-romantic. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, I will say, though, in Taiwan, the cabaret clubs range from, like, the more innocent, where it's just, like, somebody for companionship, to the more extreme, where women will also, like, strip and have private rooms and mm-hmm. do various things behind closed doors. Tina Turner. Yes. (laughs) Um, But I got the impression that she was working at one that was on the more tame side. Mm -hmm. Like not, there might have been some stripping. Yeah, Yeah. but nothing sexual in nature going on. So it's actually while she was working at one of these clubs that Lynn met her future husband, Lou Yu Hang. According to... (laughs) I feel like that's probably a common Taiwanese last name. Uh, Now, according to the Taipei Times, Lou's family was extremely influential. They owned a super famous tofu business. Okay. So they were like a big to-do family. So when Lynn became pregnant while the two of them were dating before they had been married, um, it kind of forced them into this... Well, it it forced them into this unfortunate situation where they were forced to terminate the pregnancy Mm. um, because it wasn't a good look Mm -hmm. for the son of this family or or the parents of this family to have a a child or a grandchild out of wedlock. Mm -hmm. Oopsie. So this actually happened twice. Jeez. Okay. Yeah. Very Um, fertile people. Yeah. (laughs) But by the the third time that it happened, Lynn decided to keep the child and actually marry Lou. Mm -hmm. Now, unfortunately, and I'm sure this is probably why she didn't want to marry him right away, the relationship was not healthy. Yeah. In like a later trial, Lynn's attorney brought evidence that Lou was incredibly abusive both before and after they were married. So... My guess is that's probably why she didn't want to marry him in the first place. But by the third time you're having an abortion, because there is some health risk to that also. Oh, yes. Um, mm-hmm. As far as being like fertile in the future mm-hmm. and wanting to have kids in the future. So like she kind of ended up in this unfortunate choice of like yeah. do that again or get married to this abusive man, mm-hmm. which is like not a great choice. So... um, in a later report from the family doctor, there, this report would eventually be rejected by the courts and not used, but they claimed that it was this perpetual cycle of violence that Lou had sort of inherited from his father. Mm. Uh, these statements were rejected due to lack of police reports, which Every is... a good abuser can circumvent that easily. <laughs> right. Um, now, this is again from the Taipei Times, quote, the same family doctor who gave statements as to Lynn's injuries inflicted by her husband said that she and her mother-in-law visited the clinic together where they would receive treatment for their cuts and bruises and where Lynn would receive medication. Mm. I know. It's very sad. Uh, so Lynn actually would develop uh, an addiction to the medication she was receiving. 
It was around this time that Lynn became a gambling addict as well. I didn't see that coming. Yes. Uh, The whole family, it seemed, took to putting tens of thousands of dollars on an underground Mark VI lottery. Okay. So it's sort of similar to like the Mega Millions Powerball type lottos, except it's a 649 style game. So you choose any number one through 49 and you have to match them in the order that they're pulled. It differs in a bit that the extra like ball at the end is chosen from the same pool of numbers instead of its own separate like pool. For anybody who knows anything about Lotto, I'm not going to lie. I was trying to win part of that $1.8 billion that was up. So, like, I feel like I've been doing a lot of Lotto stuff recently. But um, I don't. I don't I normally, in any gambling at all. I only do when it's, like, a huge payout, which is, like, I once a year. I have never done the lottery. I've done some scratch-off tickets. I was like, eh. I can get down on some scratch-offs. And then... And I love a good slot I've machine. I've been to a gambling boat twice. Yeah. I gambled... W- one of those times. <laughs> Did you win anything? No. Yeah, that's the problem. Like it's not for me. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. So the under there was like a legitimate version of the Mark Six, but there was like an underground version run by the mob, mm-hmm. and that's what they were into. Gotcha. It doesn't appear that anyone in the Lou family won any substantial amount of money, but they just continued to play and play and play. But the frequent gambling led to an increase uh, in gambling debts and mounting pressure to pay them off. Mm. Uh, It was also during this time in September 2008 that Lynn decided to purchase life insurance policies for both her mother and her mother-in-law. Okay. Okay. Didn't see that coming. Yes. I thought it was going to be definitely a husband situation. (laughs) Well, hang on. Oh, no. (laughs) So. no. (laughs) Just two months later, uh, Lynn went to visit her mother in Tainan, and the two got into an argument about these gambling debts. The argument quickly escalated, which ended with Lynn pushing her mother down the stairs. Okay. uh, And she died due to her injuries. And Lynn left her there, left. Mm -hmm. Uh, Her body was discovered later by another member of the family who obviously reported the death to the police. Initially, police didn't suspect any foul play, assuming that the woman had a fatal trip down the stairs. Mm -hmm. Just less than a week later, Lynn cashed in on her mother's life insurance for new Taiwan dollars, 5 million, which is equivalent to 165,000 us dollars. Pretty significant amount. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And all of these life insurance policies are around that. Mm -hmm. So in May 2009, just five months after her mother died, Lin's mother-in-law, Shang Hu-Sheng, suddenly fell ill and was admitted to the hospital. Okay. Patterns. Mm -hmm. She's just very unlucky, I think. (laughs) So it turns out that after searching online for effective ways to poison somebody... Search histories, man. Yeah. Be the death of you. (laughs) Uh, Lin decided to poison Shang's food. So Shang did recover a little bit and was sent home from the hospital. But the following day, she returned again with the same symptoms uh, and the hospital decided to keep her overnight for observation. Both Lin and her husband, Lou, took turns staying with her mother-in-law and sort of keeping an eye on her, you know, doing the doting daughter-in-law thing. 
During one of her shifts, Lin messed with Shang's IV by adding a mix of antidepressants, ethanol, and methanol. That'll register. (laughs) Which is highly poisonous, y'all. Yeah. So this crazy mixture eventually killed Shang, like, hours later, and no autopsy was ever performed. Hmm. Not suspicious at all. Not at all. (laughs) Now, just over a month later, between June and July of 2009, Lynn's husband, Lou, found himself in the hospital with a similar illness as his mother. Genetic, right? Totally genetic. Runs in the family. Mm -hmm. Of course, Lynn stayed by his side. In the hospital and once again, like, added this sort of cocktail of drugs to his IV bag. Mm-hmm. At one point in the very early morning, this is like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, 3, 4 o'clock, Lynn had left the room for a little bit. And while she was gone, a nurse came through and was doing her rounds, noticed that the IV bag was, like, slightly off-colored because it was it's like a yellowy color. Yeah. So she's like... This color on this IV bag doesn't look right. I'm going to swap it out with a new one. Oh, God. Swaps out the <laughs> IV bag and goes on her way. Mm-hmm. A few hours after Lynn returned to the room, she was actually caught by hospital staff trying to add the stuff to his IV bag again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they discharged her from the hospital. Um, but, you know, obviously... You're like, this is illegal. Mm-hmm. But the hospital staff never told police. They just like shoot her out of the hospital. Oh, wow. Okay. And so That's they different. Mm-hmm. They never made a report. <laughs> okay. Um, Lou recovered and was released. Well then. <laughs> right. Just like on your happy little way. Mm-hmm. Just three Was he conscious the entire time that this was happening? Uh, I'm sure he was sleeping because it was like super early in the morning. Like, and he, if he was conscious that his yeah. wife was getting kicked out, he'd be like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Right. She was trying to poison me. Mm. <laughs> um, well, we'll talk about that a little bit. Okay. <laughs> so just three weeks later, Lou returned to the hospital, exhibiting the same symptoms as before. And after a few days in the hospital, Lynn managed to get Lou a private room instead of being in, like, a shared room. Mm -hmm. So there weren't as many, like, nurses checking in, people coming in and out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And she, again, administered this cocktail of drugs to Lou's IV. This time, again, thanks to the private room, Lynn was able to do this undisturbed. And after three days, Lou died. Same hospital, too? I don't know if it was the exact same okay, hospital. Okay, so like, they just kicked yeah. you out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it was the exact same hospital or not, mm-hmm. um, to be honest. But it was one where she was able to, like, request a private room. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I know. So this whole time, Lynn was still playing the Mark Six lottery, mm-hmm. um, racking up these gambling debts, deeper and in, deeper into debt. So soon after um, the deaths of Lynn's mother, mother mother-in-law, and husband, police uncovered the various life insurance policies that had been taken out on these members of the family and then thought, maybe we should take a closer look at Lynn. Mm -hmm. So they obtained a search warrant for Lynn's residence and discovered what they claimed were substances similar to those they thought that Lynn had used in the poisonings. Mm -hmm. Now, just a reminder... None of these bodies had autopsies performed. Yeah. So they are guessing at what substances she was using to poison. Mm -hmm. 
So Lynn was arrested and brought in for interrogation. Now, Lynn's defense team claims this is where a lot of the problems come in on this case. It was during these interrogations that police discovered Lynn was responsible not only for her husband's death, but also the death of her mother and mother-in-law, thanks to a confession from Lynn. Mm -hmm. However... Lynn's defense team claims that she made these confessions under duress Mm -hmm. because police were threatening to implicate her sister in the crimes if she didn't confess. Gotcha. So they were like, it's you or her, pretty much. Again, from the Taipei Times, quote, Lynn also later said that it was her husband who administered the fatal dose of medication to his mother, a technique she would learn and later imitate. So even if he did wake up, I'm wondering if if that is true mm-hmm. and he was actually the one to do the poisonings that like by outing her, he'd be outing himself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which I could see. So the the trial started when this when this did start, the prosecution pretty much relied exclusively on her confessions as their evidence that she did these murders. This, of course, uh, would be problematic if, in fact, Lynn was pressured into making those confessions by police. Like, then those confessions are not reliable. Mm -hmm. She also later recanted these statements after she had gotten representation. She did a full recantation of of all of her confessions. Uh, Lynn's attorneys argued at trial that she should not be subject to the death penalty due to her mental state. Um, They said that her IQ of around 57 was well below the average in Taiwan of 106. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And they also said this paired with severe depression um, affected her decision-making skills. You know, there's this idea that she was addicted to pain medication. She was in this abusive relationship. I mean, a lot of factors at play here. Yeah. However, the court pretty much flatly rejected this argument. They were like, doesn't matter. Uh, Pointing out that she was able to obtain a vocational education, uh, was actively participating and placing long-term bets in the lottery, and that she had done some amount of planning of the murders themselves. Mm. Um, So they said because of all of that, she's totally mentally competent. Uh, competent. There's no issue here. And so Lynn was found guilty and received three death sentences on May 20th, 2011. Now, the Taiwan Alliance to End the Death Penalty stepped in and they started advocating against uh, the death penalty in Lynn's case, saying that she did suffer from uh, mental impairment, brought up the obvious issue of domestic violence Mm -hmm. that fueled her depression and medication addiction, making it an obvious contributing factor um, in the murder of at least her husband, which seems to me to be the only one that's like any solid evidence of tampering. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And if that is the case, there is something to be said for, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying there's something to be said for uh, retaliation for like domestic violence, right? Yeah. Life in prison, for me, I think seems more appropriate than death penalty. But I think that in most cases anyway. Yeah. (laughs) That's just me. So they sort of uh, started stepping in on her account, made – there was a bunch of appeals made. um, And actually in February 2012, the high court reversed the sentence, commuting it to life in prison, saying – 
quote, although Lynn was ruthless in modern society, correction is the most important thing and killing is not the most important thing. So they're saying that because she was only 26 when these murders occurred, they their hope really was that she could be rehabilitated and then re-released back into society, mm-hmm. which I think is a very um, progressive look at that. Unfortunately, I mean, I don't think it's progressive, but like in some parts of the world, like that's kind of. Yeah. <laughs> you know, surprising. Uh, but then the it got elevated. Af- after that elevation, the Supreme Court sent the case back down to the lower courts for a retrial. I don't know how this justice system works. So, like, don't <laughs> ask me how this all works. I have no idea. But at that point, they reinstated the death penalties okay. in June 2013. Um, hmm. So as far as I'm aware, <laughs> she is currently still awaiting death penalty. I don't think it's been taken care of yet and the taiwan alliance to end the death penalty is still like advocating on her behalf um but that is the story of the nantu serial murders Mm. yeah life insurance to pay off gambling debts that's where we're at classic classic Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so we're going to go across our pond. Okay. Not quite a pond from Taiwan. All right. we're going to go to jolly old England. All right. And this story is going to have everything you desire. Damn, good thing I opened with Cadbury cream eggs today. Yeah. <laughs> old men. There's going to be some oh, kayaks, some what? lying, some deceit, and thousands of pounds of money. Okay. Hit list, right? All right. <laughs> I'm wondering where the kayaks come in, but okay. Buckle up. The year's 2002. In the U.S., we're still kind of like, grappling with some 9-11 stuff. We're in a 9-11 hole, if you will. But in the UK, it was the Golden Jubilee. So we have this interesting juxtaposition. (laughs) Okay. In the UK, everything was like very exciting. Lots of exciting things popping off. And at this time, 53-year-old former teacher turned prison officer John Darwin. Oh, what a career change. Right? (laughs) But is it really, though? Institution to institution? Am I right? Dealing with criminals all around. (laughs) He decided he was going to take his kayak out for a little ocean travel on March 21st of 2002 in the early morning. This was going to be before work. So later that day, he failed to report back to work and his wife was called and she said she hadn't seen him since that morning and then she called the police. Okay. 
The police sent out boats into the ocean and were not able to find the kayak or John. (laughs) And 62 square miles of the coastline was searched that day. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. Okay. The next day, Darwin's wrecked kayak was found along the shore. Rescuers noted that the reports of the weather had been really calm the past two days, and the level of wreckage of the kayak seemed excessive. Like it had just like crashed against some rocks aggressively Mm -hmm. or something? Okay. wouldn't happen if the ocean was calm. (laughs) Right, right. So the couple's two sons flew back to be with their mother at this time, and it was presumed that he was probably dead, but efforts were still made to locate him. Okay. And his wife proceeded to be interviewed by several papers, and she pled in the press, please help find him. It came off like she wanted him found alive, Mm. the way that it was worded, but the reality was like, please, like, send people out there to find his body. (laughs) By September of that year, the searching had pretty much all but ceased. Okay. By April of the following year, an inquest was made to declare Darwin legally dead. Because, obviously, nobody. How long? Uh, A year later, basically. Okay. Yeah, so. Interesting. He goes missing in March of 2002. April of 2003 is when he was. That just seems really fast. I know, I realize, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it kind of depends. I've seen it go both ways, where it's, like, Mm -hmm. super quick or super long. Yeah. But I feel like when you, when it's, like, extended out, there's more of, like, a hope of finding somebody. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it is just a case of, like, wanting to move forward quickly, but, like. Well, I mean, when you have people lost at sea, the likelihood Mm. of ever finding them is pretty much nil. Yeah, true, (laughs) true. So he was issued a death certificate um, that was actually backdated to March of 2002, which I didn't know was a thing, but. Which was the date that he went missing? Missing, yeah. Okay. So the coroner made the death certificate, backdated it to March 2002, and then Anne was able to collect John's life insurance of 250,000 pounds. Okay. Now we're going to fast forward to 2007. All right. Anne tells her sons that she is planning to move to Panama. Okay. She had taken a vacation there a year earlier and fell in love with the place, and her reason that she gave her sons was, quote, it's fun and exciting and new, and it's Catholic, and they speak Spanish, end quote. These are all terrible reasons to move <laughs> someplace. I mean, fun and exciting and new, okay. But it's Catholic, and they speak Spanish is where I'm thrown off Weird, by this statement. yeah. Um, you know, what, what, what more could a girl want? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she starts preparations to move to Panama, and at the same time, it comes out that the police are reopening the missing case of John Darwin. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Okay, so did she know that before she moved? Don't know. Okay, so that's us. So Anne purchases a home in Panama and leaves. Oh, all right. Now, eventually, Anne comes back quickly from Panama due to complications with legal issues, which I will explain a little bit later. Oh, boy. So now it's winter, December 1st, 2007, at 5.30 p.m., John Darwin walks into the West End Central Police Station in London alive and tells police, quote, I think I'm a missing person. Yo, what? He claims to have amnesia that renders him unable to remember anything since 2000. Okay. So two years before he went missing. (laughs) This just got really weird. This is the wildest ride I will ever take us on. Okay. The news rushes over, he's rushed to the hospital, and the police are interviewing him trying to figure out where he's been for the last five years. What the fuck? 
just four days later, John Darwin is arrested for fraud. Okay. And immediately upon this arrest, a paper publishes a photo of the couple. And I put it into the notes. This photo was taken a year earlier in 2006 in Panama, just after the two had flown there and rented an apartment. Oh, my God. Wow. That is not where I thought this was oh, going. What the fuck is actually I gotta happening? I got to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so the picture is this, these two old British people in an apartment in Panama with this young Panamanian man. And they had just, it's like, we, you know, like when you first get your first house and they like take a picture with you. Yeah. Is that. Gotcha. So the couple, <laughs> we're going to go back here. So the okay. couple had a lot of jobs, which is why I explained he went from being a teacher to a prison um, officer, because they had accrued 700,000 pounds of debt. Oh, shit. All right. And they were trying to figure out how to not file for bankruptcy. And so they were taking on extra jobs. They were selling things off. And then they decided to concoct a plan for John to fake his death. <laughs> so that they could Plot pay- twist. So they could pay off the debts or so they could mm-hmm. avoid the debts? So they could pay off the debts and leave the country. Gotcha. obviously he's dead. He can't right. come back to life after the debts are paid off. Right. Well, so, can't or can he? Can he? Is there a law against that? Yeah. <laughs> Immediately following the disappearance, um, you know, John faked the kayak crash. Okay. And he actually returned home that very day. And was living next door to his wife in a rental property that they owned. So he came back home and was living next door while he was being declared missing and people were searching for him. I feel like there had to be people around her house, too. Like police and shit. For the eyewitness accounts. Oh, my God. Okay. After a year of him living next door, he moved back into the home with Anne in a secret room that was built within their bedroom. Wow. This man remained there, hidden there for years. That's wild. Now, there were eyewitness accounts of him. Okay. But none that were reported to the police. A tenant in the block of Bedsit Flats, which is kind of like a, a weird townhousing situation in uh, England, he is named Lee Wadrup, and he recognized Darwin kind of like walking in the neighborhood and asked him, aren't you supposed to be dead? <laughs> to which oh Darwin God. replied, don't tell anyone. And wow. Then, like, off. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, that's a totally <laughs> fair question, especially if it's like a neighbor you've been living to for years and you definitely know this part, like mm-hmm. would notice this person on the street to be like, aren't you supposed to be dead? <laughs> and Lee wow. Wadrup later said that after... <laughs> You know, John Darwin was miraculously appeared. He told the police, he's like, I didn't call the police because I didn't want to get involved. <laughs> I mean, fair. That's my omission, you know? Fair enough, yeah. This would be one of several eyewitness accounts of Darwin being alive. Oh, my God. In 2004, two years after he disappeared, Darwin applied for a passport under a fake name in preparation to start leaving the country. Okay. He chose John Jones, which is like... Why are you still choosing the same first name, John? Yeah. yeah. It's like saying John Doe. So he doesn't forget his name. <laughs> right? So he was granted this passport. Okay. So there's there's a problem. That's a fraud. How did they check that? Exactly. How did they check that? Okay. <laughs> so he faked all of his paperwork. Yeah. Um, the two did travel while he was considered missing and then dead. 
really big weekend at Bernie vibes, you know, big just time, like big time. Corpse and around, yeah, um, corpse and around. <laughs> on the top of the so, like on top of like going on all of these trips, he was also going around town doing things with his alias. John Jones, and he even filed complaint petitions against his neighbors, which is, like, something you can do if you, like, someone's making a lot of noise or they're doing construction without consent. Like, you can gotcha. do, like, a complaint petition. Yeah. He tried to go and buy a catamaran in 2006 outside the country. Um, <laughs> then he had this brilliant idea to start moving to Panama with Anne, and they were going to run a property company who rents out uh, spaces to expats from England. Okay. He's like, let's do this adventure. Let's wow. move out of the country and do this thing, right? So weird. And at the time that they were thinking about this in Panama, there weren't a lot of laws against anything. If you think about the Panama Papers, this right. is like occurring at the same time. Right. There's a lot of like fraudulenty things that happen in Panama, which is why it's like, oh, let's move there because no one will know. Sure. So they're flying back and forth to Panama together, setting up properties, getting their official status visas. But it was at this time in 2007 that one of Anne's co-workers overheard her on the phone with a man. This was before they had officially left. Okay. And they grew really suspicious because it sounded like she was talking to a lover or something. And they reported it to the police. And this would be their downfall. And this is what opened the case back up. Wow. Okay. It was also at this time when John realized after they were in Panama already that they weren't going to be able to officially move to Panama. <laughs> Oops. I didn't do the research beforehand. Well, no. While they were there, a law was passed through. So oh. this was happening while they were living there. Oh, and shit. Okay. in the process of their official visa status review. Yeah. A recent change in Panamanian visa laws stated that the identities of people moving from certain countries would need to be verified with that country's government in person. Oh, shit. This would be done through paperwork and an interview process, meaning that John and Anne would have to go back to the UK and have their identities checked to verify their status. So this is when they pulled the plug and took away, like, they re basically redacted their visa um, yeah. application saying they were no longer going to move to Panama. Yeah. So that is when they came back from the UK and he marched into the police station claiming he had amnesia. I love that. It's like the biggest oopsie. Oops. Mm -hmm. Oopsie doopsie. Why not try to move to another country? I mean, I feel like there are other countries that you would be yeah. able to just sort of disappear in. Yeah. And not have to, Thailand. You know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, there's lots of people who've been arrested for fraud and murder that live in the Southeast Asian countries. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's a lot in South America, too. Mm -hmm. Brazil, Colombia. He could have he kept running. But yeah. he decided to quit like a quitter. What a quitter. <laughs> you got to commit to the bit. Right? Exactly. So both John and Anne were arrested. John was charged with fraud and making false statements to obtain a passport. Anne was also charged with fraud. Both stated that their sons had no idea of their plan and neither of them saw their father. And so they believed him to still be dead. And this was actually true. That's fucked up. That like they will fuck your kids They lied to both of their adult sons yeah. that their father was dead. So they're having holiday dinners with their mother and family and the dad is still fucking alive. That's so much therapy. Yeah. Like so much therapy you're going to have to go through for that. So on top of the life insurance that they stole, 
They apparently also had stolen additional cash by other means. Oh. In total, they stole 541,000 pounds. Wow. They were then both charged together for obtaining more money from a teacher's pension scheme, which um, had two separate amounts uh, of money that they kind of... So he was a former teacher, so he could still collect the pension. Yeah. So that's an additional thing that you could do in addition to life insurance. Okay. So it totaled to be about 70... 8,000 pounds in addition to the life insurance money, as well as obtaining money from the Department of Work and Pensions for separate accounts, which is an additional pension plan that you could apply for through the government. (laughs) So they collected various pension plans and insurance, and they were... Stealing a ton of money. Yeah. Um, 541,000 pounds is a lot of money. That's a lot. That's probably close to 600 million or 600,000, I mean. I don't know the yeah. exchange rate, but y'all can yeah. Google it. Yeah. <laughs> they were remanded in custody once more to appear in court in January of 2008. On July 23rd of 2008, John and Ann Darwin were both convicted of fraud. So it's kind of quick for a case yeah january to july did they plead guilty or did they go well i'll go into that a little okay bit. okay um john f- had all of these additional charges with fake passports and all that good stuff so he did plead guilty um, okay because uh, there i mean the evidence <laughs> yeah right right and he was sentenced to six years and three months in prison wow and it was, like, mentioned in a lot of the articles that she was described by the police as a compulsive liar. Oh, my God. Like they kept mentioning that. Yeah. Um, she uh, first claimed innocence. Like, she's like, I didn't really plan all this. I, I didn't know have what any. you're talking yeah, about. But then she obviously was like, no, JK. My husband's um, alive? What? Yeah. So she eventually pled guilty, and she was also sentenced to six years and six months in prison. Three additional months. Yeah. John Darwin, which is wow. interesting. Yeah. I think it's because she filed all the paperwork and stuff mm. but both appealed against their sentences and on march uh, 27th 2009 both appeals were dismissed by the court in 2011 both of them were released from prison on probation but that's not where it ends oh god in they 20- don't did it again didn't they yeah in 2012 oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, like what he disappeared yeah, totally. a second time dude we'll i feel see. like if that were to happen the police would be like he okay did, but really he didn't kind of disappear oh my god Right after they were released, they just started divorce proceedings. Okay. So in 2011, oh. after they were released, they um, started divorce uh, proceedings, and it was officially uh, declared in 2012. Okay. They had to return the money as part of their sentencing in some capacity. So the properties in Panama that they had bought and owned were sold off immediately. This took care of about almost 500,000 pounds of the money that they stole. Sure. Then the remaining money was to be paid off by John. He had about half of it covered by 2014, and by 2015, the remainder was paid off, leaving both uh, of them without any assets whatsoever at all. Wow. Okay. After the payout was completed, John Darwin married his girlfriend, Mercy May Avila. Okay. This woman was from the Philippines and met John online shortly after his release, like a 90-day fiancé situation. Oh, my God. Girl, you know I'm all about that shit. Yes. She already had kids. They got married. He moved to the Philippines to be with her and her three children, where he still is today, out of the spotlight, somewhere in the Philippines, without 
anyone knowing his whereabouts. Okay. They have a 23-year age gap between him and his next wife here. Yeesh. Yeesh. Anne, on the other hand, moved to the north of England, changed her name back to her maiden name, and lives alone in her cottage. Okay. She wrote a book shortly after the release um, and donated all the proceeds to charity. Wow. The sons of Anne and John no longer talk to John, officially cutting ties. He hasn't tried to repair the situation or the relationship because he has new children. That's fucking weird. Also, I don't blame them yeah, at I don't all. Anne, on the other hand, Anne and her younger son have repaired their relationship, but the eldest son still does not talk to either of his parents and refuses to repair the relationship with his yeah. mother. Um, this is actually a case that was turned into a BBC show. So if you're oh. interested in seeing like a yeah. live reenactment of this, yeah. it's wonderful. It's got some uh, actors whose names I don't remember, but we're in Harry Potter movies. Okay. And um, it's kind of hilarious how they made the makeup and things for the woman to look like Anne. She's very close. The guy who plays John doesn't really look like him, but he does look very British. Yeah. Helps. But <laughs> if you want to see it, it's very interesting kind of. Uh, it's on the BBC. You said? Yeah, it's a BBC series. I forget the name of it. But that is the case of John Darwin. Wow. The missing kayakist, I believe is yeah. what the case was titled as, as a lot. But it was in the news and it was yeah. like a big fucking to do. I vaguely remember something like this, but I don't think it was this case now that I'm thinking about it. I think yeah. it had to do with a actual like murder. And then she was like, oh, he got into a kayak accident. I wanted but, to cover it because it's such a bait and switch. Yeah. It, it makes you sound like it could be the, oh, it was the wife starting it or the yeah. sons flew back really quickly like it gives you this like yeah oh my god somebody killed this man but it's like, just kidding it's a scheme yeah <laughs> i thought you were gonna say they got back together and like did another like oh attempt at trying to no the british guilt got to them and oh they for just sure had to like quit oh, it, for sure which is why i think she donated all the proceeds to oh charity. i'm sure yeah <laughs> well before you decide to scam a life insurance company maybe try listening to this podcast do it don't don't they can it's illegal they can afford it it's illegal <laughs> Don't go to jail. Burn capitalism. <laughs> murder Road Trip is a true crime podcast where I, your host Haley, discuss murder cases in my car, aka the Mobile Beats Lab. Join me and my partner in crime, HH Gnomes, on the road. There will be games, mixtapes, and snacks as I make the research journey to murder scenes around the world. Make sure to check your back seat, and I'll see you at the next rest stop. Well, that has been another one for the record books. Another one bites the dust. Another one bites the dust. <laughs> um, do you have anything? I don't think we've really got anything right now. No, you know, we're just vibing. Podcasting. Just vibing. Just vibing just podcasting. podcasting. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, you can find more episodes like this at badtastepodcast.com, where we also have links to our merch and to our Patreon and all that other all shit. All that. All, all the stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's really all we got. I'm just that's like our podcast. I know. Thank you for coming. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, uh, our sound and editing is by Tiff Fullman. Our music is by Jason Zashevsky, the Enigma. <laughs> this has been the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. We will see you in two weeks. Goodbye. <laughs>